Welcome to Parents' Rights Now, a production of Parents' Rights in Education, hosted by Suzanne Gallagher. We are committed to valuing students, empowering parents, and supporting communities to secure great educations for public school children in America. PRE welcomes all students, families, and community members who care about scholastic success for K-12 public school students. Visit our website, parentsrightsined.org, and like us on Facebook. Join us by filling out the form on our website titled, Join Us. You will find information regarding issues and information about local and state chapters. Hey guys, thanks for coming back. Oh, I hope you are ready to hear the final episode relating to boy lovers. This explains so much. So please stick with me. I'm, I want to tie a bow around uh, the last episode. It was the Stonewall Riot of 1969 that made drag political. Okay, so just remember that, 1960. Nine. And after the 60s, the author Daniel Harris explained that the ideology tightened its grip on the aesthetic of drag when gay men began to use their costumes to re-evaluate the whole concept of normality and thus carry out a crucial part of the cross-dresser's agenda, revenge. Now this became about revenge, and that was in... 1969, right after the Stonewall riots. That's when it really became political. 53 years ago, later in 1990, which was 32 years ago, Judith Butler wrote an article titled Gender Trouble. She summed it up to say, this is the occasion in which we came to understand that what we take to be real What we invoke as the naturalized knowledge of gender is, in fact, a changeable and revisable reality. Call it subversive, call it something else. Although this insight does not in itself constitute a political revolution, no political revolution is possible without a radical shift in one's notion of the possible and the real. And I want to remind you, she wrote that when such categories come into question, the reality of gender is also put into crisis. It becomes unclear how to distinguish the real from the unreal. So isn't that what they're doing? They're trying to change our understanding of what is real. Okay, so let's begin with part three. The key figure in this transition was a genderqueer college professor and drag queen named Harris Kornstein, stage name Little Miss Hot Mess, who hosted some of the original readings in public libraries and wrote the children's book, The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. Kornstein sits on the board of Drag Queen Story Hour. The nonprofit organization that was founded by Michelle T, that's spelled T-E-A, in 2015 to promote family-friendly 
drag performances and has since expanded to 40 local chapters that have organized hundreds of performances across the United States. Kornstein also published the manifesto for the movement. Drag Pedagogy, the Playful Practice of Queer Imagination in Early Childhood, with co-author Harper Keenan, a female-to-male transgender queer theorist at the University of British Columbia. With citations to Falco and Butler, the essay begins by applying queer theory's basic premise of social constructivism and heteronormativity to the education system. Quote, the professional vision of educators is often shaped to reproduce the state's normative vision of its ideal citizenry. In effect, schooling functions as a way to straighten the child into a kind of captive alignment with the current parameters of that vision. To state it plainly, within the historical content of the USA and Western Europe, the institutional management of gender has been used as a way of maintaining racist and capitalist modes of reproduction, unquote. So what Kornstein is saying here is that mom, dad, and kids is racist and capitalist. To disrupt this dynamic, the authors propose a new teaching method, drag pedagogy, as a way of stimulating the queer imagination, teaching kids how to live queerly and bringing queer ways of knowing and being into the education of young children. As Kornstein and Keenan explain, this is an intellectual and political project that requires drag queens and activists to work toward undermining traditional notions of sexuality, replacing the biological family with the ideological family, and arousing transgressive sexual desires in young children. Kornstein and Keenan say, quote, building in part, from queer theory and trans studies, queer and trans pedagogies seek to actively destabilize the normative function of schooling through transformative education. This is a fundamentally different orientation than movements towards the inclusion or assimilation of LGBT people into the existing structures of school and society. Unquote. Look what they just said. This is not about assimilating and, you know, accepting or even respecting LGBT people. What it's about is changing the way our children view these lifestyles and, and themselves. For the drag pedagogists, The traditional life path, growing up, getting married, working 40 hours a week and raising a family, is an oppressive bourgeois norm that must be deconstructed and subverted. As the drag queens take the stage in their sexually suggestive costumes, Kornstein and Keenan argue that their task is to disrupt 
the binary between womanhood and manhood. Seed the room with gender transgressive themes and break the reproductive futurity of the nuclear family and the sexually monogamous marriage, all of which are considered mechanisms of heterosexual capitalist oppression. The books selected in many drag queen story hour performances, Cinderella, if you're a drag queen and you know it, the gender wheel, bye-bye binary, and they, she, he, easy as ABC, promote this basic narrative. Though drag queen story hour events are often billed as family-friendly, Kornstein and Keenan explain that this is a form of code. Code. Did you get that? Code. And it may be that DQSH is family-friendly in the sense that it is accessible and inviting to families with children, but it is less a sanitizing force than it is a preparatory introduction to alternate modes of kinship. Here, DQSH is family-friendly in the sense of family as an old-school queer code to identify and connect with other queers on the street. That is, the goal is not to reinforce the biological family, but to facilitate the child's transition into the ideological family. Guys, they are perverting the English language. They have changed the the meaning of the word family, and we have bought into it. When I say we, I don't mean parents' rights and education. I don't even mean you necessarily. I'm talking about the, the media and the citizenry in general. They have been manipulated by, by these guys' use of the word family. And of course, many other words that we associate with traditional lifestyle. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm angry about this. I hope you are too. Rufo continues and he says, that is the goal is not to reinforce the biological family, but to facilitate the child's transition into the ideological family. After the norms of gender, sexuality, marriage, and family are called into question, the drag queen can begin replacing this system of values with queer ways of knowing and being. Kornstein and Keenan make no bones about it. The purpose of what they call drag pedagogy or the pedagogy of desire is about reformulating children's relationship with sex, sexuality, and eroticism. They describe drag as a site of queer pleasure that promises to turn rejection into desire and transform the labor of performance into the pleasure of participation. And DQSH as offering a queer relationality between adult and child. They litter their paper with sexualized language and double entendres, blurring the lines between adult sexuality and childhood innocence. In fact, the queer pedagogist Hannah Dyer has written queer pedagogy and by extension drag pedagogy seek to expose the very concept of childhood innocence as an oppressive 
heteropatriarchal illusion. Get that? Hannah Dyer says childhood innocence is an oppressive heteropatriarchal illusion. She goes on, applying queer methods of analysis to studies of childhood can help to queer the rhetoric of innocence that constrains all children, constrains, constrains, and help to refuse attempts to calculate the child's future before it has the opportunity to explore desire. This is Hannah Dyer. The purpose then is to subvert the system of heteronormativity, which includes child innocence, and re-engineer childhood sexuality from the ground up. And drag performances provide a visual, symbolic, and erotic method for achieving this. Kornstein and Keenan's language of the discipline, pleasure, desire, bodies, girls, boys, glitter, sequins, wigs, and heels, give it away. Of course, the organizers of Drag Queen Story Hour understand that they must manage their public image to continue enjoying access to public libraries and public schools. They have learned how to speak in code to NGOs and to appease the anxieties of parents while subtly promoting the ideology of queer theory to children. While many of Drag Queen Story Hour's defenders claim that these programs are designed to foster LGBTQ acceptance and inclusion, Kornstein and Keenan explicitly dismiss those objectives as mere marketing language that provides cover for their real agenda. And this is the proof, guys. We have the quotes. Quote, Though DQSH publicly positions its impact in helping children develop empathy, learn about gender diversity and difference, and tap into their own creativity, we argue that its contributions can run deeper than morals and role models. As an organization, DQSH may be incentivized to recite lines about alignment with circular standards and social-emotional learning in order to be legible within public education and philanthropic institutions. Hello, look, they're bringing in social-emotional learning. Continuing with this quote, (laughs) drag itself ultimately does not take these utilitarian aims too seriously but it is quite good at looking the part when necessary. Unquote. Rufo continues, and I agree. In other words, as a movement, Drag Queen Story Hour has learned the dance of operating a cash flow positive activist organization, winning government contracts and securing access to audiences while providing a plausible rhetorical defense against parents. Parents who might question the wisdom of adult men creating sites of queer pleasure with their children. This gambit has been remarkably successful. Drag Queen Story Hour began with voluntary programs at public libraries, which are required by law to provide equal access to organizations regardless of political affiliation or ideology. 
But within a few years, those state-neutral events have turned into state-subsidized drag performances for children. The New York City Council and New York Public Library have provided taxpayer funding directly to the Drag Queen Story Hour nonprofit, sparking a trend of state-subsidized drag readings, dances, and performances across the country. Next, the New York City public schools with more than 200000 in funding from, from the municipal government began hosting dozens of drag queen performances in elementary, middle, and high schools in all five bur- boroughs. And as I have stated earlier, oh, it's happening everywhere, people, all over the country. And we know because, because we've seen it, Washington, Oregon, Illinois, you name it. Other public figures seem to want to go even further. The Attorney General of Michigan has called for a drag queen for every school. California State Senator Scott Weiner has suggested in a tweet that he might propose legislation to offer Drag Queen 101 as part of the K-12 curriculum and mandate that students attend Drag Queen Storytime as a way to satisfy the requirement. Both might have said this tongue-in-cheek, but in any case, these things have a way of going from joke to reality at the speed of light. Though the spread of sexually charged drag performances has an aura of inevitability, one should keep in mind that transgressive ideologies always contain the seeds of their own destruction. As the movement behind drag shows for children has gained notoriety and expanded its reach, some performers have let the mask slip. In Minneapolis, a drag queen in heels and pink miniskirts spread his legs open in front of children. In Portland, a large male transvestite allowed toddlers to climb on top of him. I have the pictures, guys. I'm going to write an email showing you those pictures again grab at his fake breasts and press themselves into his body. And in England, a drag queen taught a group of preschoolers how to perform a sexually suggestive dance. Scenes from drag events hosted across the United States in bars, clubs, and outdoor festivals have been even more shocking and disturbing. In Miami, a man with enormous fake breasts and dollar bills stuffed into his G-string grabs the hand of a preschool-age girl and struts her in front of the crowd. In Washington, D.C., a drag queen wearing leather and chains teaches a young child how to dance for cash tips. In Dallas, hunking male figures with makeup smeared across their faces stripped down to undergarments simulate a female orgasm and perform lap dances on members of a roaring audience of adults and children. Newspaper headlines have also announced abuses. Tucson high school counselor behind teen drag show arrested for relationship with minor. Houston Public Library admits registered child sex offender read to kids in drag queen story time. Drag queen charged with 25 counts of felony child sexual abuse material possession. Second drag queen story hour reader in Houston exposed as convicted child sex offender. Drag queen story hour activist arrested for child porn. Still living 
with his adopted kids. Crazy, but true. Why aren't we paying more attention to this? Advocates of Drag Queen Story Hour might reply that these are outlier cases and that many of child-oriented events feature drag queens reading books and talking about gender, not engaging in sexualized performances. But the spirit of drag is predicated on the transgressive sexual element and the ideology of queer theory, which cannot be erased by switching the content and softening the language. Hear, hear. The philosophical and political project of queer theory has always been to dethrone traditional heterosexual culture and elevate what Rubin called the, quote, sexual caste, unquote, at the bottom of the hierarchy. The transsexual, the transvestite, the fetishite, the sadomasochist, the prostitute, the porn star, and the pedophile. Drag Queen Story Hour can attempt to sanitize the routines and run criminal background checks on its performers, but the subculture of queer theory will always attract men who want to follow the ideology to its conclusions. When parents, voters, and political leaders understand the true nature of Drag Queen Story Hour and the ideology that drives it, they will work quickly to restore the limits that have been temporarily and recklessly abandoned. They will draw a bright line between adult sexuality and childhood innocence and send the perversions of gender fuck, primitivism, and degeneracy back to the margins. Yes, back where they belong. We owe a huge Thanks to Christopher Rufo for this incredible article. This is perversion in its highest form, guys. And we must demand that our leaders, our politicians who are making these laws and ushering drag queens and their entire pedagogy into our public school systems it has got to stop now. And this is Parents' Rights. Now, please check your show notes for links pertinent to this podcast. Please consider making a monthly contribution to Parents' Rights in Education. We need your help. We have big plans in mind. And because of a very generous one-time contribution of $25,000, we are challenging our listeners and our readers, all of our supporters, to match that. Gives $12 a month. If there were only 500 of you, that would tally up to $6,000 a month, almost tripling the $25,000 check we just received in one year. Be part of that club. We call it the 12 by 12 club. A link to our website is in the show notes or go to parentsrightsined.org. See you soon.